Well, I hope all the moms in our group tonight had a great day, and uh, your children appreciate everything that you do for them. Uh, moms are special, and so always don't just uh, remember it today, but remember it every day, how special your mom is. Uh, none of us would be here without a mom, so just think about that. Uh, they are very important. As Mo read for us, the Old Testament, many scriptures were written uh, as an example. Romans chapter 12 or 15 and verse 4 tells us, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the scripture we might have hope. Hope is something that I want to talk about because I believe it's a very important subject. Because when hope leaves us, when we have no hope, a life can be very devastating and depressing. The Bible tells us in Romans or Hebrews chapter six and verse eighteen and nineteen that by two in, in by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. Who have uh, fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enter in into that uh, within the veil. That scripture shows us that hope is what anchors us and holds, helps us to, to maintain our steadfastness. We sang a song just a moment ago about because he lives, I can face tomorrow. That's really a song about hope. Because we can look forward to the day of judgment if we're living a faithful life to him. And that's what keeps us anchored, that hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And as Christians, we realize that there are many difficulties that we face in this life. But because of what Christ has done for us, we know that there's a better place. And we hope to go there someday. And as will be because we've lived a faithful life in service to Him. In 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter, verse 13, it says, Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. So three things are mentioned there, and hope is one of those things, and it is very important in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul realized that Jesus was the first fruit of the resurrection. He realized that uh, he talked about us coming forth out of the grave. But he also realized that if we have hope in Christ, and it's really not true uh, of what Jesus taught and that he lived and that he is the Son of God, if that's the thoughts, then we are all people most miserable because we're hoping in something that is not real. And Paul goes on to show us that it is real. God, uh, Christ is real. And because Jesus came to this earth, we can have victory. And that's something that we can look forward to. In Colossians chapter 1, and verse 23, If we continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which, ye, we have, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Again, we need to be grounded in that faith. And we need to continue in that faith because that's where our hope lies, in that gospel, that glorious gospel of Christ. The fact that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and arose victorious over the grave. That's our hope. And we need to uh, continue in that. Titus chapter 3, verse 7. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, there's that word hope. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And then in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason concerning the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. People should be able to see the hope that we have in our lives. Because it should radiate from us the fact that we believe this gospel and that we believe that Jesus is who He claims to be. And it has made such an impression upon our lives that other people around us can see it. And hopefully it will draw them to us to ask us, what is this hope that you have? Why is it your life is so different? Why do you have that joy of salvation? And we can tell those individuals what it is that we're so happy about. But there are many people who live lives without hope. And they fear tomorrow. And that hope isn't only in Christ, but that hope is in many other areas. And I think that we can see, you know, politicians sometimes talk about that hope and, 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 and what, what, what they hope for uh, if they're elected. And then we see, or I read years ago, about a, a, a city or a community that had very immaculate homes. Their yards were well taken care of. Their houses were well maintained. And then some utility came through and said that they were going to uh, use a public domain and those people were going to lose and move because they, and their house, they weren't going to be paid what they thought it was worth. And so they started to fight it, and then they realized that they were going to lose. And what did those immaculate homes turn into? Houses that needed painted. Houses that were falling apart. Garbage was left in the yard. It wasn't picked up. It wasn't taken care of. Why? Because they had lost hope in the future. And so that hope, is it doesn't just affect us. It affects all parts of our lives. But there are many people who have lived a past that haunts them. And their future, they think, is uncertain. I'm sure I'm not the only individual that's gone and talked to people who have said, I have sinned in such a way that God cannot forgive me. They are living in a hopeless situation. At least they think that God cannot forgive them. And sometimes as Christians, we allow the past to haunt us. And there are times that we ask God repeatedly to forgive us of something that we know or should know that He's already forgiven us for. But yet we continue to say, remember way back here, forgive me again, forgive me again, forgive me again. That's not the way it should be. Brethren, we need to be reminded from time to time that we serve a God who delights in mercy. He gets great joy in extending mercy to people. In Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, it says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. We certainly can see God's mercy when it comes to the children of Israel. In our Wednesday night study, we've gone through the, the history of the children of Israel when they left Egypt and how that uh, God had protected them and fed them and did all the things that were necessary to sustain their lives. But yet they looked at other nations and they wanted to be like other nations. And we can see how they fell by the wayside by disobeying God's law. And they started to worship idols. And they turned away from God. 
And then something would happen and they would turn back to God and God was merciful and would accept them back. And this happened repeatedly over and over and over and over. There's a time that God got fed up and said, it was, we're done. But we can see that in the New Testament, a new law came into effect and God is still merciful, willing to forgive us of our sins. And I don't believe that there's any sin that is so bad that God cannot forgive it if you will repent of it and do what God's told you to do. And that would mean that if you are not a child of God, if you're not a Christian, then you would have to be baptized into Christ. You'd have to be baptized to have that sin of the past washed away. But then like Simon the sorcerer, after he had done that and wished to purchase the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he sinned. And they told him to pray and ask God's forgiveness. And we see the same thing mentioned in 1 John chapter 1, where we walk in the light as he is in the light. As a Christian, that's what we're supposed to be doing. But yet we sin. And God has made provisions because he is a merciful God. And sometimes we look at God as uh, someone who stands up there or sits up there and just waits for us to do something wrong so he can smack us down. That's not the God that I serve. The God that I serve loves me and cares about me and wants me to come to heaven. But He also wants me to do what's right. And I need to do, want to do what's right. But I want us to realize that there are some people in the Bible that we would look at and we would say they did some very despicable, disgusting things, but yet we see how God looked at them different than we might look at them. And so it's a reminder, this lesson hopefully is a reminder, so that when we do go out into the world and we confront people who think that they are so awful or so sinful that they cannot be forgiven, that maybe some of these examples will help us to be able to show them that God is a merciful God. The first one that I would like for us to look at is found in Genesis chapters 19 and 20. In Genesis chapter 19 and 20, we find that... Abraham and Lot, were their, their herdsmen, were fighting. And we see there where they split up. Abraham had taken Lot up and showed him the cities of the plain. And Lot had chosen the ones that were well watered. And it was green, obviously, and it was good for herds. And so that's what he chose. He pitched his tents towards Sodom. And then as we read on, we can find where he ended up in Sodom, it seems. And there's where the problem began, or that was where the problem existed. And so we look at Genesis chapter 19, is where I'd like for us to read. And starting in verse 1, it says, And there came two angels to Sodom that eve, and Lot sat at the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold, now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your, your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the streets all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down the men of the city, even the men of Sodom compassed the house around about, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they came unto Lot and said unto him, where are, the, where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And Lot went out, of the, out at the door unto them and shut the door behind him. Here I want to stop right here for a moment because we can see that this city is wicked. When they're talking about getting to know them, they're not wanting to be introduced and know their names. 
They want to have some kind of relationship, a sexual relationship with Him. And that's what they're wanting to do. And Lot realizes that, and he knew that, obviously, from the beginning, that that's what could happen if they stayed in the streets that night. And so that's why he wanted them to come into his house for protection. And can you imagine a situation where people are surrounded the house and they're making that request or that demand out of Lot? In verse 7, and he and said, I pray you, brethren, do not do or do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Or, uh, let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore come they under, under the shadow of my roof. Now, here's Lot. A man that's supposed to be following God, and he's offering his daughters to these perverts that are outside of his house. I don't know of any other word to use. But that's what they are. <clears throat> and that's how you can come to the conclusion that when they were outside of that house, it wasn't to get to know their name. They didn't want to be introduced. They wanted something else. And so Lot is offering his daughters, his virgin daughters, to these men. Now, I don't know about you, but that just seems despicable. That sounds disgusting that that thought would even cross Lot's mind. And we can make up any excuse we want to, but that's just not something that sounds uh, favorable in my, in my ears when I hear this or read this in my eyes. Verse 9, And they said, Stand back. And they said again, <clears throat> This one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will need to be judged now. Will, uh, will we deal worse? with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to, and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied them to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-laws and thy, and thy sons and thy daughters? And whatsoever thou hasten in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is wax, waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. These individuals had come to warn Lot and to destroy this city because of how sinful it was. People want to argue today that that lifestyle is okay. The Bible here shows us that that lifestyle is despicable even to God. That that is not something that is acceptable. And people may not want to hear that today, but that's the truth from God's Word. And we need to understand that. But God was going to destroy that city. But you look at Lot, and once again I say, how could a man that is a righteous man offer his daughters to this filthy mob to do whatever they want to do. And we can again come up with excuses for him, but that's the question. And then later on we can see where Lot got drunk and had sexual relations with both of his daughters as we can read in verses 30-38. through 38. Now, I'm sure that they thought, because they say that there's not a man in the earth that uh, can help us to have children, basically. 
that when they saw the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, that they thought perhaps that there was no one left on the earth except for Lot and his two daughters. But again, another despicable act. I've been studying with people and we come across this passage of Scripture because somehow it comes up in the study and they feel disgusted when they hear that. That's, that's incest. Well, yeah, that's incest. And we look at something like that as something that's awful. And so we would look at Lot and we might question his righteousness. But look at what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. And deliver just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. That's what the New Testament says about Lot. That God considered him righteous even after these events had taken place. And that's what the Bible shows us. Again, God is a merciful God. And listen to what it says in Psalm chapter 103, verses 8 through 10. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. God still looked at a lot. Not because he was doing those things that he'd offered with his daughters or what he did with his daughters, but he still looked at Lot as a righteous man. His sin would be answered for. He would have to confess it just like anyone else and take care of that sin to remain a righteous man. But that shows us that God's mercy is great. Another example we, that we can look at is found in Joshua chapter 2. And that's the story of Rahab. In Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out unto Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land and even Jericho. And they went and came into, into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Now, I've heard preachers stand in the pulpit or even in class try to say, well, <clears throat> Lot was, or, uh, Rahab wasn't a, really a harlot. A harlot sometimes could be a, 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 an innkeeper. Well, if you look at some of the other translations, you find that that word means a prostitute. And so she wasn't an up, upstanding citizen, you might say. But the Bible goes on to say in Joshua chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, whether the men went, I want not, pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she uh, had b uh, brought them up on the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, <coughs> which <coughs> she had laid in the laid in order upon the roof. Well, what has she done? She had taken the spies and put them on the roof and hid them. And then when the soldiers came, <coughs> she deceived them. She lied to them. Now we know that the Bible says that lying is a sin. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, it says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto Him, <clears throat> a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wickedness, wicked imaginations, 
Feed them be swift to running to mischief, a false witness that lieth and speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. But did you notice that in that list was mentioned those that lie? God hates a lying tongue. But yet here's Rahab who is hiding the spies and lying to these soldiers. Does God condone that? I don't believe He does. But look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30-31. through 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. After they were compassed about seven days, and by faith, the harlot Rahab perished, not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. She's listed in the hall of fame of, of those who were faithful. What does that tell us about the mercy of God? That when someone puts their trust and faith in Him, that He is willing to forgive, that He can restore them to where they need to be in the rightful relationship with Him. And I'm sure that she had to repent and confess her uh, wrongs just like anyone else would have to do. But look where she's at, and that's the point I want us to see. Here's a person who was a prostitute who also lied, but yet she's listed in the heroes of faith. Not because she was a liar or a prostitute, but because of her faith that she had in God. And that's what we need to understand, that we may have a wicked past. We may have done some awful things, but God can put us in the right place when we will comply with what He has told us that we need to do in order to be in that rightful relationship with Him. And then there's David, an individual that we talked about this morning who sinned a great sin of adultery with Bathsheba, which is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1-13. through Not going to read those passages of Scripture because we talked about them this morning. But we know that David was supposed to be out in battle or should have been out in battle and instead he was at home. And he was walking on his roof and he looked over and he saw Bathsheba that was bathing on the roof and he wanted her. He lust and he wanted her. Now he had every opportunity to turn away, not do it, but yet he inquired of who she was. He took it to the next step. And then when he found out that she was married, that didn't stop him. He sent for her and had her come to his house. All of these things just snowballed and kept snowballing and getting to be a bigger and bigger sinful mess. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. She became pregnant. And when she became pregnant and told him about it, he wanted to cover it up. And so he brought her husband back from battle. You may I've always wondered, I wonder what Uriah was thinking when he was sent back to tell the king about the progress of the battle. But yet he went in and he told the king about the battle. And then David told him to go home, be with his wife. He thought he would cover it up and hide it. Again, nothing good about this story. But that's what he did. And then eventually, because he would not go home and sleep with his wife so that everyone would think that it was his child as opposed to David's, and therefore the sin could be covered up, Uriah was an honorable man. 
And David sent messages by the hand of Uriah himself to Joab to tell him to put him in the heat of the battle, the hottest point of the battle, and withdraw from him so that he would be killed. <clears throat> Another despicable act. We saw God's mercy <clears throat> when Nathan went to David and David said, I have sinned. And God, Nathan had said God had put away his sin. David realized what he was doing and I think from other uh, psalms that we can read that we can see that David was miserable inside during this period of time. Because he praised to God at one point that the joy of salvation would be returned to him. And that's the problem with sin. That sometimes when we go out and you know we're tempted to do something and we know we shouldn't do it and we go ahead and we do it, there's that guilt, sometimes that shame, sometimes the, the, uh, the weight upon our minds of what we have done. And as I've always said, when we're done with sin, it's not always done with us. And sometimes our consciences bother us. And as I read in that last verse that God was displeased with David. David knew what he had done was wrong. That's not the only sin that David committed. In 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 13, he goes back on his word when he says, Therefore the king said unto Shimei, Thou shalt not die, and the king swear unto him. Now then in 1 Kings chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 8 through 9, it says, And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Durham, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanam. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear unto him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now therefore hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, and knowest that thou oughtst to do unto him. But his whore head bring down to the grave with blood. So again, David had promised this man that he would live, gave him his word, but then there on his deathbed, he's telling Solomon to kill him, to take him down, to destroy him. He'd gone back on his word. And so again, we have an individual who not only has committed adultery, been a murderer, tried to hide it, tried to cover it up, but also has lied under this situation. But the Bible refers to David as a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, but now thy kingdom shall continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. They are, that message is for Saul, because he hadn't obeyed God. But God knew that David was a man after his own heart. And some people struggle with that. How could David be a man after God's own heart and do some of these things that he did? That just goes to show us that all of us can fall. Every one of us gets sin. And sometimes the things that we think that we would never do are the very things that we end up doing. 
but be thankful that we live that we serve a merciful God who when we will take care of our sin he is willing and just to forgive us of those sins in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22 thousands of years after David had lived it says and when he had removed him he raised up unto them David to be their king to whom also he gave testimony and said I have found David the son of Jesse a man after mine own heart which shall fulfill all my will well there were some things that David did that weren't God's will but there were some things that he did do that were God's will and when he took realized his sin, he sinned, he had to take care of that sin just like everyone else would have to take care of their sin. And that's why he could be referred to as a man after God's own heart. But what I think we need to realize is that when we look at these individuals, some of them are outstanding individuals. There's others that are, are, are perfect examples of what God expects out of us in our lives. But many times we can look in their lives and when we study them, we see that there was sin also in their life. That they weren't perfect. And when we start to think that we're going to be perfect and we expect everyone else to be perfect, I think we're making a demand that God knows isn't realistic because there's only one person that was perfect and that was Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want you to leave here tonight saying, well, the preacher said I can go out and I can do all these crazy things and God will forgive me. I believe that there's a difference in doing things with a high hand. And that is knowing that you're not supposed to do it and saying, guess what, I don't care, Lord, I'm going to do it anyways. I believe that God looks at that just a little differently. But there's one more example that I want us to look at. And that is Saul, who's later, who later was referred to as Paul. In Acts chapter 7... We know that Stephen had preached a gospel sermon and he told the people there what they needed to hear. Well, sometimes when you tell people what they need to hear, they don't always appreciate what's being said to them. And in that particular case, what Stephen had said, they didn't want to hear and they became angry and upset with Stephen. And the Bible says that they were so angry that they gnashed on him with their teeth and then they took him out and they stoned him. And there was a young man there by the name of Saul who held the coats of those that stoned Stephen. And that's our first introduction to this individual named Saul. But in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, we see there where it says, Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And in the verse 3 of that same chapter it says, as for Saul, that individual that held the coats of those that stoned Stephen, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them or committed them to prison. Here we find an individual who is trying to destroy the church that Jesus Christ came to build and the church that he died for. And Saul is an individual that's trying to destroy those individuals that are a part of that movement, of that organization. The Bible tells us in Saul's own words, in Acts chapter 26 and verse 9, 
I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which things I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Saul was an individual who aggressively went out and tried to persecute those that were followers of Jesus Christ. Those that had put their faith in Christ. Those that spread that gospel message. He wanted them destroyed. Do you know what that means? He was destroying the body of Christ. He was destroying those who Jesus had died for and shed His blood to save. That's what Saul was doing at that time. But God was willing to forgive him. And when Ananias went into him, he asked him, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. And what? Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. After he did that, you find Saul, whose name was then referred to as Paul, you see him aggressively teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, there were some that were afraid of him because they heard of his reputation. But how did he live that reputation down? By being faithful to his Lord, to our Lord, and doing what was right. And so we look at these individuals and we realize that they did some awful things, but yet they could receive forgiveness. Why? Because we serve a merciful God. And so we can look at these individuals and we can say, God forgave them. Why can't he forgive me? Because you see, that's the last person I want us to look at, ourselves. Because when we look at ourselves, we need to realize that we also were sinners. That none of us were perfect. That we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, What then? Are we better than they? No and no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. <clears throat> That's a powerful statement. No, not one. Not one single person. Even Paul himself says, no, not one. There's not one that was righteous. We've all sinned. All of us. God says that all, <clears throat> for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I doubt if very many of us would want God to write a a, a book or expose on our lives that would expose all that we've done that is wrong. That's the beauty of God and His Word. Even His heroes had flaws. Even His re uh, heroes sinned. But yet God is that merciful God who will wash away our sins by the precious blood of Jesus if we will comply to His will. And do as He tells us to do. So there is hope. There's hope for anyone that's lost. There's hope for that Christian that struggles with their past, thinking that God hasn't forgiven. He will forgive. And He is merciful and He wants to forgive. 
Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of His grace. God is graceful. He's merciful. He's loving. He's tender-hearted. He's kind. All of those characteristics and many more describe the God that we serve. So if you're outside of Christ, you are without God and without hope. And it's difficult to live a life without hope. And it's difficult to go through someone's funeral when, they have, when that deceased has no hope because they haven't lived a faithful life. They've never turned their life over and been obedient to the Gospel of Christ. And so that's important that we tell and show people that God is merciful, that He loves them and cares about them. And in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So brethren, there are some people that are outside of Christ that have no hope. And there are some that are in Christ that have refused to repent and turn from their sin. And they're in that same condition without hope. They can change. And they can become faithful to God. And the person that's outside of Christ can be buried with our Lord into His body, into the church, into the life that He wants us to live. And if you are a Christian, you need to be walking in the light doing the best that you can to live that faithful life. We're not looking for avenues to sin. Our attitude should be the same as Paul had. Shall we continue in sin that grace mouth may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? As a Christian, we've died to sin. We don't want to do those things. But there are times that we're weak. There are times that we give in to the temptation. And we need to realize that God does love us. And He is forgiving and that's the hope that we have. Because if we live a faithful life, our God has a place prepared for us that you and I can go to and live eternally with Him. So please don't leave here without having the hope that God has freely offered to you and me. If you need to respond to the invitation tonight, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing. <coughs>